Welcome back to The Coop with Meyer Hatchery, where we talk all things poultry in hopes of educating crazy chicken keepers and inspiring future flock owners. I'm Kendra. And I'm Jeff. And today we're sharing some of the common questions we answered from our trip to the Homesteaders of America conference in Tennessee. Jeff and I had a brief pause in our podcast production as we traveled eight hours to Columbia, Tennessee to attend the first Learn How to Homestead in a weekend event. Over 300 people attended this two-day event at Rory Feek's Homestead, full of presentations, hands-on demos, and a family-like homesteading community. Meyer Hatchery attended the event as a vendor here. Now, at their main event in Virginia in October, we'll be there as a main sponsor, but as a vendor in Tennessee, we had a booth set up between tents A and B where they were doing presentations and we brought product in our catalog and pens and we're just there to get to know people and their flocks. Now, a lot of the people in attendance at the event either were seasoned flock owners or they were completely starting from scratch. They were truly there to learn how to homestead in a weekend. And of course, one of the first presentations to kick off was from Polyface Farms' Joel Salatin and his presentation was in regards to broilers. Afterwards, we had a lot of questions regarding broilers and chicken tractors. Having had chicken tractors and having made chicken tractors, I am more of a just make do with what I have. And so my chicken tractors that I'm used to building is from scrap PVC, two by fours, and then some hardware cloth. And I just made it work. I didn't spend thousands of dollars to build. It doesn't have to be a palace for chickens, but if that's your thing, you can. And I've seen the videos of chandeliers and TVs and so forth. (laughs) I think one of the other things is there's a lot of information out there regarding chicken tractors. It's so trendy right now. There's a lot of people doing it. There's a lot of variations of chicken tractors. So I think there when we were talking to people and we were looking at different plans and what they had seen on things like YouTube, I recommended Meyer Hatchery's plans, of course. We have instant downloads where you can purchase it online. You get the PDF plans delivered to your email and we do have YouTube videos of it being set up. Now, those are plans that an employee of Meyer Hatchery actually developed personally and then we created them into actual plans that are sellable. So it's something that is not just something we talk about, right? It's something that we truly have used and love and have tried and tested over and over again. So that's a place that I really recommend people start. And I know when Jeff was talking to people, we were kind of pushing like, hey, use the bare minimum your first time around so you get to know how they work and what you like and don't like. I'm pretty sure I've told this story before. Amanda and I did a whole episode on chicken tractors, which I'll be sure to link below. We actually talk about those instant download plans. And our first chicken tractor that we built had no opening in the top. So to put food and water in, you had to pick the chicken tractor up and slide it in, which if you've ever raised broilers, you know how crazy they are when you place feed in. They all, you know, bulldoze you to get to the feeder. And so, of course, hens or chickens are popping out and you got to push them back under. It was a complete disaster and totally turned me off chicken tractors. So use what you have, construct a small one, try a small flock and just get to know the experience of raising broilers in a chicken tractor. And you can always improve from there. And that was the other thing with broilers, too, is start small. Don't get a thousand and think you're going to butcher them all yourself. Start small. Start with 20, 25. Yeah. Just to get the experience. Exactly. 
So starting small, and I know, Jeff, you were talking to some people about PVC, and I thought you had a really good uh, idea of putting sand in the PVC pipes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, with me, I had PVC pipe because I was using it for something, um, fixing a leak in the house. Anyway, so what I did was I had some sand and I just put sand in the in the PVC pipe before I built it. So that added weight to it. Um, I've also used bricks. Just I brick it down so it doesn't fly away. That's a great idea, especially at the base. So the PVC pipe is lighter than building it with wood, but you can put sand in the very bottom of it to keep it. So if your land isn't flat, for instance, if you're kind of on a hillside or something like that, it help anchors that chicken tractor down. So I thought that was good conversation we had with quite a few people. Another conversation we had with people was just meat chickens in general. So I know Polyface Farms really pushes broilers. They're in it for like monetizing your homestead. But if you're just starting out and you're looking to raise meat birds for your own family's consumption, I personally like the Rangers best. I've raised both, but the Rangers to me, they taste better. I can put them in with my layers. It's just something that I've grown to love and appreciate more than the broilers. Now, don't get me wrong. I highly recommend raising broilers once. I think everyone should experience that. That's where your commercial chicken comes from. So having an understanding of how they're raised, their accelerated growth, processing them, I think is important. But then after you do a batch of broilers, try rangers and see the comparison. Yeah. The biggest thing with the rangers over the broilers, it does take a little bit more time, a few more weeks. The other thing is they move around. They eat the bugs and they don't just sit there and eat and sit there and eat. Whereas the rangers will move around, eat the bugs. Your quarters cross broilers won't do that. And I think that was one of the biggest questions that people had. Like they weren't concerned so much about raising them and the time difference, which was really only a couple weeks. A lot of them were concerned about like the flavor and the taste of them. And really the difference between them. So rangers are going to be more flavorful because they're free range. So they're eating some different things and they're getting up and moving around. Now the Cornish cross broilers are going to be primarily white meat and they have the really big breasts on them, which a lot of people like. So when you're at the grocery store and you're buying just plain old chicken breasts, that's what those are going to look like. If you're raising rangers, they really just look like a regular chicken. So if you've ever butchered a layer or you've had a rooster that you called because he he was mean. I mean, that's what the chicken's going to look like. The breasts really aren't, you know, exaggerated like it is on a Cornish cross. Now, to me, that doesn't make much of a difference. Um, I don't really cut out the pieces of my birds. I do a couple of them. Most of the times I just freeze them whole and then cut them down as I'm using them um, or I roast them whole and then, you know, cut up the meat individually for different meals throughout the week. So again, for that, it's like we recommend over and over again, really just think about you and how you're going to to utilize the birds. So think through that process first before purchasing your breeds um, and that should help you out tremendously. Now, I know there was another presentation by Justin Rhodes about setting up your layer flock. And it seemed like after that presentation, we had a couple different questions passing through our tent. And one of them was regarding beginner breeds. Now, we have an episode dedicated to this, which I'll link below in the show notes. It's really good. It's really thorough on different poultry types and what's the best beginner breed for those. But Jeff, what do you typically recommend for layers? Go to the grocery store and just buy the eggs. (laughs) (laughs) And if you were at the Homestead event, you know now that you're speaking to the real Jeff. (laughs) As I have said so many times when people ask, what is the best bird? 
what should I get? Well, it depends. It depends on you. It depends on what you want. It depends on what is pretty to you. You want to go out to the chickens to enjoy them besides just picking the eggs. And if you pick a bunch of chickens that are ugly to you, it won't be as much fun. But if you look through the catalog, you go online, you look through the chickens and you say, man, this one is awesome. Then that's the chicken for you. If it meets your other criteria of how much eggs you want, where you live in the sense of in the Northern part of the United States or in the Southern, all that matters. But the most important thing that matters is, are they going to be enjoyable to you? Because you're the one that has to go out there and feed them every day. You're the one that has to go out and water them every day, whether it's pouring down rain or feet of snow. And I think that's the biggest misconception people have too, is they're adding all of these birds to their flock. But we talked to quite a few couples that only had like three to eight birds in their flock. And they were like, yeah, that's all we need. And when you think about it, like the egg production on those, that's true. That's all they need. They have enough for their consumption plus their neighbors and friends. So when you're adding to your flock for laying purposes, really keep that in mind. The birds add up quickly. The feed costs are going to start adding up quickly. And that egg production, especially in those spring months when they start laying, is going to add up quickly. So do you have an outlet for those eggs? Otherwise, you will have counterfuls of them. Believe me. <laughs> personal experience. I think I have three egg baskets on my counter right now full of eggs because we keep adding. Now, when it Jeff was going to say something smart, but I cut him off. Well, no, I mean, it's like you keep buying chickens. <laughs> so what do you expect? But I don't think people think about that initially when you're growing your flock. Like it's always fun to add new birds and you always want new chicks. But the end result is you have all of those eggs now to do something with. So they don't go to waste. And that's the other thing about having the chickens is try to get the amount of chickens for you, like Kendra said, because... If it's just you and your spouse and you have 10 chickens, that's a lot of eggs a day. What are you going to do with them? And that's another thing that I kind of sense there. I know there's conversations about monetizing your homestead, which is great. It's hard to reach that stage. It takes a lot of work and many years. And so when you're first getting into it, do it because you want to do it for yourself. Don't necessarily do do it to raise money initially. I think you need to test a lot of things. Like you need to test out your coop and tractors and different types of birds. And there's a lot of experimenting. That's why it takes years and years and years to get to where you want to be. And just like with gardening, right? It takes six months for your birds to mature and start laying and to understand their temperament before you start adding new birds. And if you're breeding, then that's taking even longer. So it's not a quick and easy process to do anything on a homestead by any means. And I think a lot of times there's conversations that make it sound really glorious <laughs> and easy to do. And I mean, it is. It's fun. It's. I kept telling people, I sounded like a broken record that, you know, it's the hard work, but it's the good work. Like it's the type of work that makes you feel good at the end of the day. It's a good tired. And so if you're up for that challenge, then I don't want to turn anyone away from homesteading, but just make sure you're doing it for yourself first. Another question that came out of um, discussing different breeds was, of course, predators. So a lot of people we talked to 
experienced predators and had been replenishing their flock or were waiting on their order to replenish their flock. And one question that I heard more than I think I ever have was in regards to aerial predators. And I don't know if it was because we were in the South that may have been a bigger concern. I'm not quite sure, but it was unusual to hear that repeatedly. And one of the biggest concerns was hawks. And one question in particular I received that I thought was interesting was, does the color of the bird make a difference when you're trying to protect your flock from hawks? They particularly wanted to know that if they raised a flock of all black chickens, would that help protect them from aerial predators? It will help, but it won't completely deter the predator. So if you think about it, if you are in an airplane and you're flying over and you're looking down, blacks and greens and darker colors typically blend in with the foliage below. If you spot a big white broiler in the middle of your lawn, that looks out of place. And especially if it's moving and flopping around out there, that looks like it could be dinner. So I can see the color playing a difference. But another thing that I don't think a lot of people really think about is animals are smart. They've been doing this for hundreds of years. If the hawk is hungry enough, it's going to eat any type of chicken that it can get to. So you still want to put preventative measures in place if that's a concern and something that's happening to your flock repeatedly. Um, But the color of the chicken alone won't completely deter that predator attacking. Um, I talked to a lot of people about the holographic reflective tape from Night Guard. That's something that I know people put on the outsides of their runs, um, within their orchards, things like that to help deter birds. Uh, The biggest way you can protect them is netting over your run, particularly if you have an outdoor run, if it's not covered. I know our neighbor has a huge run that has netting over the top. She just caught an owl in it. She literally had to rescue the owl because it had gotten tangled in the net and she ended up taking it to a like a rehab animal rehab place to make sure it was okay before re-releasing it. But it really does help prevent those attacks. Now, I free range. We have plenty of hawks out here. I can't tell you how many times I've been mid-meeting and said, hold on, pause, and I'm running out there in my slippers, hollering and clapping my hands to make the birds go away. Um, My birds usually take cover. I have lost a bird to a hawk before and a falcon. We have falcons here in Michigan that like to attack. Um, To me, it's, it's part of nature. That's part of having birds. I would rather have my birds free range and put some preventative measures in place than keep them cooped up. I will say having more ground cover helps with hawk attacks. Your birds are smart. Like my rooster's alarm. Anytime there's something out of place or if a falcon is, you know, swooping in and everyone tries to run to the coop. So if you have small bushes or shrubs or, you know, trees in the area that they can hide under to help prevent attacks, that's a big part too. Yeah, for me personally, I tractored my chickens. I just put them in tractors and so then I didn't have to worry about it because I had a lot of predators and I don't like losing my animals to predators. So I put them in tractors and made the kids help me push them every day. It's good exercise. And for some areas, it's necessary. I mean, if you're getting repeated attacks and especially for predators that are endangered or that you can't trap and relocate, sometimes you have to. A run or a tractor is the only way you can keep chickens. Yeah. Another question was about land predators. And this is where having the correct wire on your cage, on your chicken tractor or around the perimeter, if you have them in a run. And that is chicken wire is really not what you're supposed to use. 
It's okay for along the top, but along the bottom, you need what's called hardware cloth. It's smaller holes and it's thicker wire. The problem with chicken wire is it's a thin wire that a lot of predators can reach through and grab your chicken. And so I recommend you get hardware cloth, at least a foot and a half, two feet high around the perimeter. There's questions too about burying the fencing. If you can bury it at least two feet, we recommend it. If you can't, you can always bend it into an L shape. And so it comes off the edge of your coop about a foot. And then you can put stone over top of that. And that just helps with predators digging underneath and getting into your coop if you don't have like a cement floor on the outside, which most people don't. Um, So that's another way that you can kind of make it fit you and your coop and run setup that you currently have. And that's what I did on my chicken tractor. I had it to where along the edges, I kind of put it on hinges where I had about a foot extra of fencing that after I moved the tractor, I'd lay it down so they couldn't dig underneath. And you'll be surprised. I know there was one lady in particular I was talking to and we were talking about predators and she really wasn't sure of what predators were in her area. And I swear, even if you think you do, once chickens land on your property, they come out of the woodwork. Like I had no idea we had falcons around here coyotes and things like that. I know a lot of urban chicken keepers kind of think living in town, their predators are a little bit different, but you would be surprised what creeps into your backyard at night while you're sleeping. So the more preventative maintenance you can do to prevent predators from attacking your flock, the better off you'll be because once they attack, it can be extremely hard to sometimes identify where they're coming in. You're constantly making repairs. It turns into just a more costly process, not to mention replacing any of the flock members you lost. And the heartache of it. Uh, And it will not be fun cleaning up after that mess. Yes, because even if you're a homesteader and you raise your chickens for the freezer, it's still hard losing a chicken. You put a lot of time and effort into that. And so experiencing losses of any kind, whether they be pets or for your plate, it's hard to handle. Now, along those same lines, another question we commonly received was regarding integration. So a lot of the seasoned chicken keepers had their flock for a couple years and were thinking about introducing new chickens or were considering maybe adding meat birds to their flock. And they had questions regarding how to integrate them properly into their existing flock. And I thought that was a great question. I applauded everyone who asked that because it's not as simple as just tossing them in the coop. Uh, There are a couple steps that you need to take. One of them, which again is another topic we've talked about in some previous episodes, is you want to separate them so they can see your existing flock without accessing them. And so I've mentioned this before. In my coop, I actually have a, I call it like my rotational coop, where I put my birds in so they're inside and they can see each other, but they don't have outside access and they can't access my current flock. So it's kind of just like a holding cell. And they're in there for a couple of weeks so they can see and interact and then they get put into the main coop. I also open all of the doors and windows in there. And so if they are being attacked by a current flock member, they can escape, right? You want to give them room to get away from the issue. If they can't get away, that's where you really run into issues. So I know it's hard to do it if you have a small coop or run where you're trying to do the integration, if you have the option of doing it outside, I highly recommend it. I also think that if you have a small cage or you you know, fence off an area of your yard, put in your new flock members and let your existing flock members free range like they normally do. That's another great way where they can see each other but not necessarily interact initially. 
Now, one last thing I wanted to touch on that I just found interesting and I thought maybe some of our listeners would too is we brought quite a few books. We thought being a homestead related event, obviously everyone was seeking some sort of education from their presentations. We brought books that ranged everywhere from small scale farming to uh, recipes and things like that. Our two top selling books, which should be no surprise because we've talked about both and we've talked to the authors of both here on the Coop podcast was The Chicken Health Handbook by Gail Damero and Adam Danforth's Butchering Book. Now, he has two books. He was on to talk about his chicken butchering book. He also has just one called Butchering that includes rabbit, lamb, goats, and pigs. I've personally purchased both and I highly recommend both. They were excellent in not only processing chickens for the first time, but I've processed hogs on our own now. And so I've used the book for both. Highly, highly recommend. I'm going to be sure just in case anyone that was attending the event is listening, I'm going to link them both below. I know I promoted them a lot, but I think it's kind of cool to hear from the authors. They provide a lot of insight and knowledge um, in what went into those books. And since they were so popular, I wanted to make sure that I kind of reiterated that here for anyone that's interested in homesteading. All right. So I think those were really the most common questions we answered there. Again, it was really homesteading focused. So it was more of how chickens can integrate into your homestead versus just straight questions regarding your flock. If you have any questions that may have risen from our conversation here today, be sure to join our exclusive Facebook group inside the coop. I will be sure to link it below. And for any of you who did not attend the Tennessee event, I hope to see you at the home Centers of America Virginia event happening October 8th and 9th. I'll be sure to link that below as well. And hopefully we'll see you there. And with that, we thank you for listening to The Coop. Be sure to subscribe. And if you'd be so kind, drop us a review. See you all next week.